Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Sierra Vista, the official podcast of the city of Sierra Vista. I'm your host, Public Information Officer Adam Curtis, and today we'll delve into the city's proposed budget with Assistant City Manager Victoria Yarbrough. With the tentative budget adopted this week and the final budget vote set for July 22nd, we're in the home stretch of the budget process. For those not familiar with city budgets, it can be a confusing process to follow, and sometimes it's hard to understand what the important impacts of the budget will be. Today, Victoria will help add some clarity and context to the development of the next city budget, which governs the fiscal year that starts on July 1. We'll talk about some of the pressures and challenges the city has adapted to during the budget process, while also hitting the highlights of key projects and items included in the budget. We've got plenty to cover, so let's get to it. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. I am super excited to be here for my first podcast. Yeah, and you get to talk about the budget, everyone's favorite topic. It is definitely my favorite topic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just this week, we actually passed the uh, tentative budget at the council level. Um, kind of counterintuitively, the final budget adoption isn't set until July 22nd, which is actually after the new fiscal year starts on July 1. Um, it shouldn't be a surprise that municipal, municipal budgeting is a little bit counterintuitive, but maybe you can walk us through um, how these step, steps work and uh, what else will be coming up. Sure. So the budget process is actually a year-long process. We pretty much wrap up one budget and we roll right into starting another. And it's a lot of planning that goes into this by the departments, the staff. We start the capital improvement plan the year before, so that will start later this summer, early this fall. There's a lot of planning that goes into what projects we want for the next year. But the official budget process starts in the spring, and that's when we ask our departments to enter their, their capital projects, their personnel requests, their special initiatives, start entering their operations and maintenance budgets. Um, and so then my budget team, which consists of me and our chief financial officer, David, our budget officer, Jen, we sit down and we start going through all of that information. Mm -hmm. So our all other goal is to get as much information out to city council and the public as possible. So we start with budget work sessions about two months before the budget votes even start. So mm -hmm. beginning of April, every council work session, pretty much. We do a presentation on where we're at in the budget. We go over the revenue, we go over the personnel, we go over the operations and maintenance, we go over the capital. So we try and go over each piece of it uh, long before council's going to see their first budget item. Right. So, and then we, we do a tentative budget book. And so we get all of this preliminary information out in print to city council. And we traditionally do that the week before Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. And then we give them about a week to go through that. And then we sit down and have one-on-one -on -one meetings with council members to answer any questions uh, they have. Then we start with our special budget work sessions. So these are work sessions apart from the regularly scheduled work sessions where we go through the entire budget uh, front to back um, more in depth and council and the public has the opportunity to ask more questions and learn about what's going on um, with the entire budget and not just pieces of it here and there at various work sessions. So all of that happens before the tentative budget vote happens mm. at the end of June. So the budget schedule itself, the tentative vote, the final vote, the property tax hearing, the property tax levy, this is all set out in state statutes. And there are certain timelines we have to meet for each of those 
votes, and that's why they're spread out the way they are. Mm -hmm. So the tentative budget vote, which we do at the end of June, sets the cap for the budget. And again, that's a, an Arizona state law. That's a requirement. So what that means is we cannot go above that budget cap for the rest of the year. So between the tentative vote and the final budget vote, things could move around within the budget. Um, they traditionally don't, but they could, but we cannot exceed that budget. So then the final budget vote in July... You're done with the, the budget vote. That's the final vote. We do the property tax levy, and then the final property tax levy vote then happens in August. Mm -hmm. That's the end of the formal council process for the budget. Got it. Um, and I know as a reporter, uh, depending on which budget process I was covering, um, the public hearing on the property tax could be a very big deal, but it never was with the city. Um, and for folks who don't know, can you explain uh, why property tax is a relatively small portion um, of our revenue stream? Uh, and thus, it has a relatively small impact on, on taxpayers as well. That is a great question, Adam, and I'm really glad you asked that for real. Um, something a lot of people don't understand is that the city's property tax is actually a very, very small portion of your overall property tax. Um, payment. The, the largest um, portion of your, your property tax bill is either the county or the school district or the or Cochise College, all of which are separate governing boards, separate from the city. So the city's portion is very tiny. The total amount of revenue the city gets for property tax each year is about $377,000. So that is far less than, it's not even a half a percent of mm -hmm. our total budget. It's, it's just not the primary revenue stream that the city depends on. Our largest revenue streams are from sales tax revenue mm -hmm. and then state shared revenue. And that state shared revenue is income tax portion. It's vehicle licensing tax and it's state shared sales tax. Those are the biggest parts of our, our revenue pie. Right. So local sales tax is a very big deal, but local property tax, not so much. And, and typically we, we don't increase our property tax uh, rate either, at least in my recent memory, we haven't done that. No, we haven't done it. And the, the state caps how much a, a city council can increase mm -hmm. their property That's tax. Right. Ours has not done that for a very long time. And we actually traditionally reduce that property tax to keep it within... Property values are going up, so mm -hmm. by no action of our own, we would actually have to spend quite a lot of money if we were going to keep our property tax rate the same. Mm -hmm. We'd have to spend a lot of money to advertise that we were keeping it the same because the valuation has increased. Right. So we reduce the value or the, the property tax rate to keep the valuation or the, or the money that we receive, sorry, not the valuation, mm -hmm. coming in. So we've reduced it a number of times over the past few years. Right, which saves ta taxpayer money on both sides, really. I mean, it keeps their bills slightly lower, although it's not a big impact. Uh, and then it also just demonstrates that, you know, we don't we don't want to waste that money on advertising uh, when it's not going to generate anything anyway. Right. In most cases, it would cost us more to do the advertising than we'd receive in revenue. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that puts it in perspective. Um, so, yeah, talking about the tentative budget, uh, it totals more than $115 million, uh, which sounds like a lot, and it is bigger than uh, last year's budget of $86.7 million. Um, and again, as a reporter, I think I came in to Sierra Vista right as the city was um, uh, applying for stimulus grants. So there were all 
these stimulus grants, and we ran into a year just like this where the budget looked significantly higher than the previous year. And I was like, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? How are you paying for it? Like, this seems like a big deal. Um, so again, not a big surprise, uh, but this can be a little counterintuitive as well. Um, so maybe you can kind of explain what accounts for this, this increase that looks really significant. Um, and then also uh, kind of describe some of the, the projects uh, that we're seeking uh, this kind of one-time funding and grant funding for this year. Yeah, thanks, Adam. This is this is one of the, the most exciting things to talk about in the budget because, yes, it is a far larger budget than we have had any other year. This is the largest budget in city's history, but that is all almost across the board due to one-time projects. Um, it's due to grant projects, and I'll get into a little more detail on what those projects are. But going back to the tentative budget um, and setting the cap, we have to budget for all potential grants and whether we get them or not. So if we would budget uh, or set the tentative budget and then receive grants above that, we could not accept them. So in most cases, um, if we get the grant, great, we do the project. If we don't get the grant, then the project doesn't happen. So there are just a ton of grants in this year's budget and one-year, one-time um, capital projects. Mm -hmm. So there's no tax increases. Um, we're not increasing any operational costs. Right. These are things like there's almost $13 million additional budgeted in like the airport fund um, for a potential grant, a potential business opportunity. Um, we're working on a contract with the Forest Service to build a new pad for them. Mm -hmm. um, so those are all really good things. Um, we have some other really exciting things. There's a lot of transit grants in there mm -hmm. because staff did an amazing job and they found an opportunity within our transit funding to apply for grants uh, within a certain distance from bus stops and so on mm -hmm. that would pay for multi-use paths, which oh, awesome. we've been trying to find funding for multi-use paths for many years. Mm -hmm. Almost all of them were funded by federal grants that went away a number of years ago. So we're applying for those. We'd be able to build multi-use paths again for the first time in a few years. Um, there's also some infrastructure grants within the transit funds that we found, which will increase curbs, gutters, sidewalks, streetlights. So making um, neighborhoods more walkable around transit stops. So those are really exciting. There's some parks grants we're looking at. Um, the city has applied for a $3 million land water conservation fund grant, mm -hmm. which would be invested in the Veterans Park Sports Complex uh, for phase one and would do some really, really amazing things there. So lots of one-time projects. Yeah, and uh, remind people what the Veterans Memorial Park Sports Complex is. It is the uh, property we acquired from the school district uh, last year, I believe. Um, and it's where uh, people remember the old Apache Middle School. Uh, mm -hmm. If you haven't been here, it's the current Rother Educational Service Center, um, but it's all that area behind there. Um, so what are we hoping to do with that, that area? So in the past two years, something really exciting that staff also did, uh, council set a strategic plan goal to develop a new parks master plan. Mm -hmm. So that went on for the past two years. That one is currently or was recently up for uh, public comment on our website, but new plan for all of our parks. It also included redoing the entire Veterans Park Master Plan. Mm -hmm. So last year, the city bought about 23, 24 acres from the school district, which used to be the Rothery Center, and it's now the Veterans Park Sports Complex. So this would be phase one of improvements for the sports complex. And so if we're successful in getting this grant, we're looking at um, 
artificial turf for the mm-hmm. football field, lighting all of the sports courts. Uh, we have to replace the entire irrigation system. Um, so really exciting to be able to get to to use that property. Uh, we've struggled a little bit with getting the, the well that feeds Veterans Park. Um, and the fact that the entire irrigation system needs to replace be replaced there. Mm-hmm. So it would also upgrade the well and allow us to water those sections of the sports complex that need to be watered. So that's a really exciting one, and we're, we're waiting any day to hear if we get that grant or not. Awesome. And I'll just put in a plug for the engagement process associated with the Citywide Parks Master Plan. Uh, we've done two processes so far, one focused on Veterans Memorial Park, one to help the development of the whole Citywide Parks Master Plan. Now we have that draft master plan uh, up for public comment itself over at engage.cervistaaz.gov. That's engage.cervistaaz.gov. Uh, so definitely give that a look and uh, submit your input. Uh, it'll be up at least through the end of July, uh, and then it'll return to council for final approval. Um, but it, it sets a roadmap for the next 10 years of uh, maintenance priorities, new additions to parks and amenities throughout the community. Um, and we had some really great public uh, engagement that informed that process. So. So folks should definitely uh, catch up on that if they don't know about it. Um, But another really exciting project coming up uh, is over on the West End, and we've been talking about it probably since before I moved to Sierra Vista, honestly. (laughs) Uh, Far longer than that. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) I know I've been talking about it for 11, 12 years, but by the time I got here, it was already decades old, probably. But uh, moral of the story is we are are finally moving forward with um, a hugely significant project to improve uh, West Fry Boulevard, um, and then later North Garden Avenue as well. Um, So talk a little bit about uh, you know the aim and motivation for that project and then also the status just because just recently we've gotten some good news on bids and uh, we do know that we are actually moving forward with construction uh, rather soon. Well, it is, it is certainly no secret in the community that Sierra Vista lacks a defined downtown. Mm-hmm. And so there's been efforts for many years through many general plans, which is the city's 10-year plan that's voted on um, every 10 years by the voters. The council sets strategic plans, which are every two years. For many years, there's been an effort, what do we do to bring a downtown to Sierra Vista? And so the most efficient and logical method that was identified was revitalize what you have. And we had a lot of empty buildings in the West End, and there have been a number of efforts to address that. But we also realized that Fry Boulevard was overbuilt for what it accomplishes now. A five-lane highway is not a main street. Mm -hmm. So this effort began uh, years ago. I think the first study was done in 2014 on what was needed. And so uh, it's traffic studies, how much traffic is actually handled by the the road. Um, Traffic studies all around, not just on Fry Boulevard. So the project that arose out of that was, let's take Fry Boulevard um, from Garden Avenue down to 7th Street and then Garden from Fry all the way out to the bypass and narrow it, make it more walkable, make it more people friendly, make it a place that people want to go and spend their time and increase the aesthetics, make it look beautiful, make Mm -hmm. it look, add trees and greenery and places to sit. And so that brings the people in and eventually that brings in the business. So that was a very long process. Mm -hmm. And 
So this, this project, the phase one that we're talking about, which will be from Garden Avenue or Frying Garden down to Carmichael, mm-hmm. um, is actually being funded by uh, through the Metropolitan Planning Organization. So this is uh, money that um, has come in over a few years and been saved up. So uh, it's being paid for through this method, not the city's money. Um, but will narrow Fry Boulevard to three lanes, one in each direction and a turn lane. It will add a lot of landscaping. It will redo the lights. It will add some um, aesthetic features. There will be benches. There will be um, street light, new street lights, um, banners. There will be pedestrian lights. There will be a multi-use path. Um, so it will be walkable and, and look really great. So... We, we hit a bit of a bump in the road back in April, May, the first time we put the project out for bids. The bids came back pretty high. Mm-hmm. And so we had to pull the project back in, quickly review it, say what is the absolute requirement infrastructure-wise to do this project. And so we separated that out and, and call that the base bid and separated out things that would be really nice to have, but doesn't affect the infrastructure that we could maybe do later. Right. And we put the project back out to bid. So we did that very quickly. It was out for three weeks and we were really happy that the bids came in great and the project was awarded to KENG. So it's been a great partner with the city over many projects over the years. So Mm -hmm. we're really happy to be working with them again. And the fact that we were able to fit all of the items that we wanted to back into the project. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, so construction on that's going to start really soon and should only take about six months. So okay. look for that hopefully by the end of the year, um, December, maybe January. Wow, that is really soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and please do continue to visit those businesses, um, particularly during that time period. Uh, Absolutely. Because anytime there's major construction, you know, everyone hurts about their, you know, worries about their bottom line, how that's going to be impacted by that. Um, these are a lot of, there are a lot of local businesses in that area that have been hurt by other other things, like when the gate changes on Fort Huachuca <laughs> or just things outside their control. I mean, it's been a tough time for that area. Um, so definitely we want, we will encourage residents to, to shop there and remind them they're still open during construction uh, and then obviously look forward to hopefully changing the environment over there for the long term. And we'll be working really hard to ensure that access is maintained to all of the buildings right. during construction. So um, it may be a little more challenging, but but please find that way to get into your, your favorite business. Absolutely. And it's kind of fun to see it all come together with it seems like, you know, there's been a lot of spinning wheels, uh, at least when I moved here, this perception of like all plans, no action. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, in the last several years, we've seen a lot of good changes on the West End. I mean, we just recently completed changes at Soldier Creek Park, and we'll be doing further improvements there, and also across the street, Landwehr Plaza, and creating that, activating the space for like community events on that end of the improvement area. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, we have that Fry um, property um, that used to be a, a strip mall, a really old strip mall, mm-hmm. and has some drainage issues. Um, that we are analyzing right now and kind of figuring out what we can do with. But the hope is to maybe have some public parking and other things there uh, that can also support this project, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're still working on the the study to find out. um, One of the major reasons for buying that piece of property was to address some stormwater and flooding issues on the Mm -hmm. West End. So the study is concluding on what's needed there for water management. Um, but once that's done, we'll finalize the plan there. So it, it may be a combination of parking, 
maybe some park space, you know, maybe some some business opportunities. So so we'll see and we'll see what the council and, and the public wants for that. And that's also an exciting one that we're looking forward to moving forward. Cool. And that's over on uh, the corner of Fry and Fab Avenue. Yes. Um, and then another thing I'll just mention is it's awesome to see all these murals popping up in the West End. I just took photos of another one um, over at, oh, I forgot the name of the, the business. Um, it's a rebranded uh, motel over there on Fry. Uh, it has these beautiful hawks and mountain lions on the outside, and then the mural continues on the oh, inside right of the Fry patio. And North? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I want to say they're casitas. They have a really cute new name and a new sign, and they. Uh, this is all through our um, West End Partnership, or West Sierra Vista Partnership Program, Yes, uh, which provides ma- matching grant dollars for businesses uh, improving their, their sites, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really successful, and you know, uh, 143 Street Taco is an example, the Circle mm-hmm. K on the corner is an example there. Um, so it's really nice to see some of these property owners, you know, investing in their properties and starting to buy into the vision we kind of share for the West End. That's right. And Tombstone Brewing Company, I know a lot of people can't wait to see them and, and their construction should be starting here soon, which was also part of that project. Yeah, I think their plans were finally uh, approved through the Development Re- Review Committee. Yes. Um, yes, they were. So that should be moving forward soon, which is so awesome. Yeah, so many exciting things coming to the West End. So uh Sorry, got a little sidetracked there because it's exciting. But uh, just like uh, rising construction costs, um, you know, posed a challenge for that project and, and kind of, uh, you know, resulted in some initial high bids. Um, they've been a challenge with another project, too. I know the EMS substa- substation project um, uh, has faced some challenges, but we are moving forward with it. Um, and if you could describe that project a little bit and, and where the plans are at for that. Sure. Uh, the EMS substation is also the result of a number of years of, of work. Uh, City Council recognized that there was an issue with response times on the southern end of, of Sierra Vista and asked staff through multiple strategic plans to analyze the situation, recommend a solution. And so after a couple of years of analyzing the data and the response times and and appropriate solutions, the solution determined was we needed another substation south of town. And why is it an emergency medical services substation? Um, Because 85 to 91 to 2 percent of our calls now are are medical Mm -hmm. related. So it made sense to do an ambulance substation and not a full fire station. So as soon as planning started for that, we got the opportunity to apply for a defense community infrastructure program grant. So these are federal grants for military communities to build infrastructure that will benefit Uh, the military community and the community as a whole. So we were one of 16 grants in the country chosen for that project. And they, we got about $1.4 million through that. So the Mm -hmm. the project initially was supposed to be about $1.5 million. And we're locked into a pretty tight construction timeframe with that. So we have a lot of grant money that we don't want to see go to waste. And so Mm -hmm. unfortunately what happened is we did have a third party uh, construction cost evaluation that was due with the packet. And that was done in June of 2020. So everybody knows what's happened between now and Mm -hmm. June of 2020. And one of those things is skyrocketing construction costs. So of course we're redoing our garage right now, which was just great timing. I just redid my kitchen. Yeah, yeah. it was great timing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it looks beautiful and I appreciate it. So, (laughs) um, 
but what that meant is construction costs went up 30 to 40 percent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is this is a relatively small station. It's we worked really hard to keep it as basic as possible. Mm-hmm. But the it is fire stations, EMS stations are unfortunately some of the highest dollar per square footage cost buildings to construct. Oh, wow. So when the cost went up 30 to 40% for construction materials, that really impacted this project. So um, we're still moving forward. Um, the other good news is that interest rates are very, very low. Mm-hmm. We just financed a project for 1.3%. So, you know, we'll, we'll finance the additional cost um, and it will be okay, and we'll have the substation we really need, and that will improve our response time south of town and um, benefit the community overall with an unfortunately slightly larger price tag than we expected. Yeah, and it's also a benefit to Fort Huachuca, which we do serve with ambulance services as well, uh, which was key to, to getting that grant. And and for folks who don't know, this is an EMS substation planned on the corner of 7th Street and Buffalo Soldier Trail, just across from Tompkins Park. Yes, and it will respond on Fort Huachuca as well. So thanks for pointing that out, Adam. Yeah, no problem. And uh, yeah, I live uh, pretty close to there, so I'm excited to see that go there. Uh, it's nice to know we've got some good coverage. Um, so there are plenty of other projects that we could talk about. I thought maybe you could uh, pick out a couple of the other kind of significant projects uh, included in the budget uh, that you may want to touch on. Um, ones that come to my mind are Roadrunner Park. Um, I know that uh, there was a school district meeting and we're kind of working on a potential purchase of some additional property, I believe. Uh, And that's over on St. Andrews Drive, right? Yeah, that's at the corner of St. Andrews Drive and Canyon de Flores. So Mm -hmm. the city has owned property adjacent to Garden Canyon Park right there um, for years. This was purchased from Castle and Cook back when Canyon de Flores first developed. Mm -hmm. And part of that property was donated to the school for a future school site. Mm -hmm. But the economic downturn happened. Um, Sierra Vista hasn't grown. Our, our population shrunk. We think we're probably back up to where we were, but we're not projected to grow much. And so we approached the school district to buy that 15 acres of land that adjoins our land right there. And if we're successful in purchasing that, um, We'll make the entire thing into one big 28-acre regional park, kind of similar to Tompkins Park. Same amenities, mm. um, walking trail, basketball courts, um, ramadas, playgrounds. But we have a lack of park space south of town as well. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. will fulfill a huge need within the community. So purchasing that land is in next year's budget. Um, that's also part of the overall Parks Master Plan. Mm-hmm. So design and development would take place probably over the next two to seven years Um And so that will be exciting to work on as well. So some other projects that are in next year's budget. um, One, I think a large portion of the community has been waiting on for quite a long time is Avenida Escuela um, connecting to the city's Civic Center Sports Complex. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, so this one has been planned for, for quite a while. So we've been working on, there's a bridge that needs to be developed there and actually walmart is going to pay for half of that culvert and bridge to be built so there's some studies that need to be done and those are in process but once that's finished we're planning to build the bridge and the road to connect avenida escuela back to the domingo paez complex and so that will connect essentially to the veterans park sports complex and we'll have one big 
massive sports complex in there and and that that's really exciting um yeah and that was part of the uh, development agreement with walmart when it when it moved into that location over yes. there right? yeah yes yes it was yeah so it's, it's just interesting to me how how long uh, you know how much time can pass between things yeah. uh, particularly when it comes to government planning and you know outside factors and that kind of stuff um but it's nice to see stuff follow through too after all yeah. those years too Absolutely. Yeah. And some maybe less exciting, but maybe not for some folks. Um, we have some additional money in street improvements. Uh, you know, we weren't able to do a lot of street maintenance over the years um, for various reasons, um, but we are planning to rebuild the section of Charleston Road from mm -hmm. the from Highway 92 down to um, Campus Drive. Uh, it's gotten pretty rough. Um so those two road construction projects are in the budget for next year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's off of the Highway 90 bypass, mm -hmm. right? Just right, right off that. Oh, the final project I want to mention is the animal shelter expansion. Mm -hmm. um, we were the very grateful beneficiaries of a $1.2 million donation from Mrs. Sue Hirschheimer's uh, estate. And so we added some additional money to that generous donation. And so... We'll be designing the expansion of the animal shelter and moving forward with construction. And hopefully, since we have to design the shelter first, we wouldn't be looking at constructing until maybe next spring okay. um, at the earliest. So hopefully construction prices come down a little more between now and then. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm always amazed at how much support our, our local animal shelter receives from the community. And it's really awesome. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that people love, love their animals here. But uh, yeah, our, our local shelter does an awesome job and they couldn't do half of what they do uh, without the support of volunteers and donations and, and other stuff throughout the year. And the friends group is fantastic, too. Absolutely. So, uh, so I've been covering the city for a little while before I moved over here uh, as a staff person. So I've been here since about 2009, which was an interesting time to, to move someplace because it was right amid a, a massive economic downturn, um, which kind of arrived late in Sierra Vista. Um, but it also gave management, you know, a little time to, to see what was coming as well. Um, so I, I was impressed because I, I watched what other municipalities were doing uh, during that time period. Um, and it required major layoffs, very painful decisions. Um, and I was covering the city of Sierra Vista, um, where there were difficult decisions, but they weren't as dramatic. Um, so I was hoping you could maybe kind of set the stage, uh, you know, going back 10, 12 years and talk a little bit about how the city's approach to basically a conservative approach to budgeting um, in good times um, can translate into being able to weather those kind of unforeseen storms um, without, you know, having to riff staff out and do that kind of thing. Um, although I know we did a trit out a great number of staff members and we're still, well, we're still relatively lean these days. Yeah, that that's true. And, and you hit on a lot of the points on how we did it um, already, but to expand a little bit on that, the, the city has always had a really conservative financial approach. And one of the key components of that, as you mentioned, was when the economic downturn started, we started keeping a lot of staff positions open. And so we did not want to lay anybody off. We didn't want to um, furlough anybody. So we understand how important um, the services that are provided are and how much, you know, a paycheck means to a family. So it's, 
we went down almost 60 positions um, mm-hmm. since 2007, 2008. And so when somebody would retire or when they would leave for another job, their positions were often held open. And so that also meant that their duties and tasks were redistributed amongst other mm-hmm. staff. And so that helped keep our operational costs relatively low. And, and we've been running very lean for um, the past gosh, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. So, and another component of that is keeping our our revenue projections really, really conservative. Right. And this year that that's especially obvious with the way our revenue numbers are coming in. So we track sales tax revenue very, very closely. So across many different categories, hotel and motel, restaurants and bars, construction, Mm -hmm. um, And we keep a close eye on those. And this past year has really been phenomenal. And it's there's many businesses that have suffered um, with the pandemic. And um, we feel for all of our our business owners that haven't been able to make it. Um, But by and large, we've seen revenue increase dramatically. And a lot of that is we recognize that it's artificial. So the city through April, our sales tax revenue is almost 18% over what we budgeted. Oh, wow. So that's, that's just incredible. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you you look at it and go, wow, we can do a whole lot of stuff with all that extra money. Um, But that's not the way we work. Mm -hmm. And so we look at it very carefully and say, even though we're running almost 18% over budget, we know that's artificial. So Mm -hmm. we did project a small revenue increase for next year. Um, because the trends were already showing that that revenue was increasing. And so we went with a pretty conservative 6% um, estimate uh, or increase over last year's revenue um, with really no end in sight at the moment, but we know that's going to come back down. So what happens with that additional money when, when money comes in over budget is it goes into reserves. It gets saved for a rainy day. Right. Um, there's some other things which we're going to get into in a little bit here mm-hmm. on like our, our public safety retirement mm-hmm. pensions and everything. So the city saves that money and we're, we're looking at uh, we pay down debt. Mm-hmm. And we put the money into reserves. So it doesn't go to um, – sometimes it goes to needed capital projects, but by and large, to simplify, it goes into savings. Yeah, and, and while our budget is bigger than last year's budget, like we talked about, those are one-time expenses and, and largely grant-funded. Uh, that's opposed to operational changes that will increase your expenses on an annual basis, you know, forever potentially until Mm -hmm. you cut those back which is painful to do because that's often staff people Mm -hmm. um so yeah that distinction between you know operational changes that you're gonna have to keep paying for for a long time and these kind of one-time projects that you know we need to take advantage of the opportunities when we have them um there's a big difference there and I, i think it really does speak to the fact that while we're in good times now and have a lot of exciting projects going on we're also not increasing increasing like the footprint of lo- local government here we're not really expanding in a way that's going to put us in a, in a bind in, in later years right we have healthy reserves and we have um a very conservative debt level so things are going well 
That's good. And you already mentioned this, but yeah, the, the city does have some kind of persistent pressures on its budget and uh, almost chief among them probably is the rising cost associated with the public safety personnel retirement system. Um, and I know this can be kind of a big subject on its own, um, but maybe you can take a very high level view and just share kind of how the PSPRS system got where it is today in Arizona uh, and how our local approach with the city of Sierra Vista has helped us put in a be in a more favorable position than at least some other communities have been in? Sure. This is, this is a really complicated question that goes back many, many years. And so I think to simplify it, I'll just say that the problem with the public safety retirement system, the unfunded liability, which refers to the amount that we are short for paying on um, retirements, the mm -hmm. existing retirements, um, was done by the state. And so the personnel system itself is a separate organization. They are responsible, like any other retirement fund, for investing their money. And they made some bad investments over the past years. I mean, the the system was funded very, very well just 20 years ago. And unfortunately, there were bad investments. So this isn't something that the city did. This certainly isn't something that any staff did. And I feel sorry for our public safety personnel who have to hear us talk about this over and over because right, it's, yeah. not, it's not anyone's fault um, at that level in any way. So what the city did is city council looked at this um, a number of years ago and said, we need a strategy. And mm -hmm. so they have a financial strategy and they added a component to that on how to deal with the city's unfunded liability. And city council determined that we would do a couple of things which would result in extra payments over the years. So mm -hmm. we continue paying our, our regular um amount that we owe and and additional. So what we do um, as a city is we budget 100% for every position. And so you know you have positions that may not be filled um, throughout the year, but right. we budget for those payments anyway. We make those payments anyway, whether we have a person in that position or not. Uh, we pay the entire amount or we try to pay the entire amount um, that we owe for the year in the first quarter of the year because that amount will earn interest in our account with PSPRS. Mm -hmm. So and then that, uh, that interest becomes an additional payment. Um, we pay additional money for once um, public safety enters a program called the DROP, which mm -hmm. I cannot remember what that stands for at this moment. <laughs> but technically, we don't have to pay into the retirement system for them anymore once once they enter the DROP, but we do anyway, and so that's also an additional payment. So we've been employing these strategies for a couple of years now, and last year the city was able to make an almost $800,000 additional payment on top of what we already owed. And for the first time, we actually saw our um, contribution rate decrease by almost 3.5%. Mm -hmm. So the final leg of our strategy there is when it makes sense, if our rate decreases, we also continue paying for the next year at the higher rate. It was already budgeted, so we just we budget for that again. So that's also an additional payment. So all of these strategies mean that we are slowly but surely paying it off, and hopefully the PSPRS board continues to invest wisely, mm -hmm. and that um, unfunded liability in our rate continues to decrease. Right. And yeah, it really, it helps because every year you don't know what your bill is going to be from right. PSPRS. Right. It's always kind of an unfortunate surprise. Um, but for other communities, um, it's even scarier because because that bill, you know, 
can be balloon up very quickly and be much, much bigger than anyone expects, even for us. But doing these things in advance helps mitigate that kind of surprise payment you have to make when, when things don't go well. Yeah. Um, so, so that is good to hear. And, uh, it is obviously a very complicated process, but the, the good way to understand the bad investments that I hear David Felix say over and over again is, uh, they invested in the dot coms and whatever, 2003, right before the bubble burst or oh, whatever. Real estate. Yeah, yeah. Right before the uh, probably 2008 time period mm-hmm. <laughs> when that bubble mm-hmm. burst. Um, so yeah, they had some unfortunate, uh, investment decisions. And then there's also a cost of living adjustment, uh, factored in their formula that made it impossible for the fund to really recover in good years too. Uh, so it's just been a, a structural systematic problem at the state level. Um, and while we do kind of lobby for changes and that kind of thing, there's only so much we can do to uh, adapt to the situation we find ourselves in. And I know David says it's much like the mafia. You, you can't get out once you're in. Uh, so I think we're kind of stuck in P- the public safety personnel retirement system. It's not like it's something we can opt out of at this point. Yeah, that is a true statement, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've talked about a lot, and I know there's probably many other things we could highlight. Uh, for, for folks that want to review the entire tentative budget book as adopted, uh, it's on our website at sierrastoaz.gov. Uh, if it's not there today, this comes out on Friday, uh, it will be there very soon, so check back soon. Um, and we welcome any comments on the budget before the final vote on July 22nd. Um, but as we wrap up, uh, are there any other notable items or uh, topics you'd like to touch on? You know, I think I hit just about everything, Adam. I just took a quick look at at the uh, capital list right here. Um, The only other thing I think I could probably mention is we're getting new library computers. So awesome. (laughs) Yay! we've been trying to fit that in for a few years. So I know the library patrons will be really happy about that one. That is good news (laughs) for the library. So I'm I'm glad we're able to to touch on so much uh, today. And I hope hope people walk away or come away with a little better understanding of what can be a notoriously complicated subject. Uh, So thank you so much for taking the time to break it down for us today. I appreciate the invite, Adam. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Let's Talk Sierra Vista. As always, you're invited to join the conversation by sending your comments, ideas, or questions to pod at sierravistaaz.gov. That's P-O-D at sierravistaaz.gov. Take care, everybody.